What's up, guys? Welcome back to the No Backboard Podcast. My name's Jeff Weissman, just like it was last time around. With me, again, Joseph Nation. And for the first time in what feels like a year and a half, we are not doing our off-season previews. This is great. This is amazing. We're talking about real-life NBA basketball. First impressions of the season. This is probably one of the most interesting NBA seasons we've had in a while. Um, uh, You know... Obviously, we're biased in saying it, but because we're in the moment. But last year just felt so uninteresting because everyone knew the Warriors were going to go to the finals and everyone knew the East was going to lose in the finals to the Warriors. And, you know, obviously it didn't play out that way, but the regular season last year was really lame. And so far, it seems to be going a lot better this year. Joseph Nation, real quick, I want to hear a team that has really impressed you so far and a team that has really disappointed you so far. Uh, so in terms of impressed, I'm going to stay away from the New York Knicks on this one because as much as they are better than I, than I thought they should be, they are still one and three and still quite bad. So I'm instead going to go with the Minnesota Timberwolves. Um, we kind of figured that, you know, the difference in not having Tibbs and having even Ryan Saunders, who we've, we've talked about this a lot. I wasn't a huge believer in, but I was a believer in him, at least not being Tibbs. He's made a pretty big difference in terms of how they're getting Cat involved, and so Cat looks like a legitimate MVP MVP candidate so far, and they're currently one of four remaining undefeated teams. Yeah, I mean they look good. I like the way they're using Wiggins as well. Now let's let's be real. I want to put a damper on the hype. He had one good game, and he's always done well in those kind of amped up games where he's pumped up. You know, he was going up against... Who would, Who was he facing when he had the efficient 25 points? Was it the Heat? Uh, Yeah, yeah, because it was... You're, you're talking about the comeback. Yeah, it was the Heat. Story. He was going up against Jimmy Butler, even though Butler didn't play. Right. And that could be an excuse. I'm not saying it was, right, but yeah. Yeah, like, he always goes off against the Cavs. He goes off against the Thunder. He goes off against these teams that he has grudges against. So right, there's a chance yeah. that this was just the focused Wiggins that we see yeah. four times and, a year. And, I mean, we saw in, in their first game, even though they uh, against the Nets, even though they did end up winning, um, I mean, he was absolutely dreadful for 95% of the game. Uh, it was just he hit two pretty big buckets in overtime and had a key deflection that could have been something more if Jeff Teague were, you know, not walking to the ball. Um, and so, like, he, I, I, I don't necessarily know that Wiggins has completely overturned things, but it is good to see that he can at least provide flashes at times. Um, yeah, it looked, it does look like he's trying a little more, right, yeah. which is better. Yeah. yeah, in terms of the overall team context, you know, having Teague and Wiggins is still a little bit unnerving, but... You have to figure that at some point they can kind of mitigate that, and they are. I do like that they're starting Trevion Graham just because at some point putting as many smart players around Andrew Wiggins as possible is the best way to mitigate when Andrew Wiggins plays not smart um, or when Andrew Wiggins plays not with effort or, you know, any number of things. So, like, putting him between Rocco and Trevion Graham and, um, well, next to Cat and occasionally, like, putting Jarrett Culver next to him as well. Those are things that kind of mitigate his weaknesses and kind of make it to where, yeah, he... Um, he does give effort on some nights, and it's enough. Um, so yeah, like overall, I probably don't think this team is you know top three in the league. I don't think San Antonio or Denver are. Well, I think San Antonio is not. Denver, yeah, probably not. But either way, um, but you know, at the same time, I could see this team being a playoff team, and that's more than I think a lot of people expected, and I think it may be more than I suspected, though I think I said it was a possibility. Um, but yeah. Um, teams I'm disappointed in, like, 
I feel like the Chicago Bulls should be so far the number one answer here. Um, just because they look completely hapless on the defensive end. Like, they're leaving shooters so incredibly wide open. They're not really rotating as they should. And it's... And it's with a team that has finally gotten a few guys that actually know how to play. Like, they actually understand what they're supposed to do when they're not staring right at the ball. Like, Otto Porter is supposed to be better than, he, uh, than he's been so far this season. Uh, Wendell Carter Jr.'s... I mean, he's playing solid defense, but he's not necessarily impacting the whole scheme. He's kind of just limited to being a rim protector right now. Um, which he's doing well. But over, overall, like, this is a team that I kind of expected to take the next step forward and make the playoffs. And uh, it's looking pretty questionable right now. Yeah, they have been very not good. I'm hoping they turn it around. Levine's looked really good offensively. Well, but... other than the Hornets game, which was terrible. Uh, it's the Hornets. I like if I was an NBA player, I wouldn't really show up to this game. If I'm being, honest. if I was a starter, if I was a bench player, I'd be all in. It's like that old Hakeem quote that Kenny the Jet Smith always brings up. He's always like, "Oh yeah, when we face tanking teams, our stars would be like, hey, Kenny, this is your night. Go for forty. <laughs> uh-huh. Um. Anyway, um, Sixers have impressed me a lot. Not by playing well, but by winning despite bad shooting nights. Because they're not going to be a good shooting team, but they're also not going to be a 29% three-point team. And they're still winning. And they've won some tight games, and they've kind of flipped the switch when they had to. In order to be really impressed by the team, I need to see a couple of solid blowout wins. I I expect them to lose, obviously. They're not going to go undefeated for the whole year. But I do want to see some 120 to 95 wins where we don't pull away at the end because that always seems to be the Sixers' issue is they never can sit on a lead. And while they don't really have a bench this year, especially when their best bench player gets ejected on a bullshit flagrant two in the middle of the third quarter <laughs> when we kind of needed them. Um. But um, <laughs> uh, they have enough good starters and they, they're good enough at staggering minutes that it really shouldn't be an issue. They should be able to hold a lead with say, Josh Richardson and Toby Harris running the starting lineup, and you keep Simmons and Embiid and Horford on the bench or something like that. Uh, I was also really happy that they got to put in an early demo run of the Sixers 1.5, which is their roster when Embiid sitting, where they space the floor for Simmons with Horford in at center, Toby Harris, Mike Scott. And that's a really fun lineup, too. And it was perfect because the Sixers won the game, but they looked flaky enough that I think Simmons can still be confident that he needs Embiid (laughs) to be really good. It was kind of a perfect uh, outcome in terms of Sixers fandom, Mm -hmm. but they've really impressed me just by their defense. Yeah, The the defense is the biggest thing to me is like, it, it, it seems every bit as good as advertised, if not better, because I don't know that we expected Tybal to be as good immediately as he is. Oh, I did. As soon as I saw him in summer league mm-hmm. and then in um, in preseason, I was 100% sure. He feels like, you ever see the tape of like rookie Kobe Bryant or rookie Michael Jordan on defense? How they're really being really over-aggressive and kind of making dumb plays, but at the same time, they just do that stuff where you're like, this guy is processing the game on a level that we don't really understand as mm-hmm. fans. Thibel can't do any of that shit offensively, and he probably never will be able to. I'm not saying he's going to be Kobe Bryant or Michael Uh Jordan, but I'm saying defensively he reads the game like a superstar does, and that's really, really impressive. This is not a K.J. McDaniel situation where he comes out super athletic Mm -hmm. and with good lateral quickness 
and everyone gets psyched up and Bill Simmons goes, oh, this guy's the next Scotty Pippen. <laughs> like, no. Thibault's actually playing real defense, and it's really, really fun to watch. It's so much fun watching him fly around and foul, but also get these crazy blocks and deflections. He had this steal the other night where he was pressed out on a man 40 feet out from the hoop when the ball was kind of drifting off to the left wing. And the defender on ball on the left wing ended up like kind of fumbling it away because I guess Thibault saw the way the play was going and he cut off his man and he had to steal 40 feet away from the hoop on a bailout pass that he had to read like five seconds in advance. And it was just one of those things where you're like, all right, there's no way that's a complete coincidence. Yeah, like yeah. It, it, it's, it's crazy how he's playing defense. I don't want to get too far into the Sixers height because at the end of the day, they were not three very impressive wins. Right. Yeah. But it is cool to see them kind of execute and, not exceed expectations, but just perfectly meet expectations. I always like that. Yeah, I don't well, want to see a team and, fly above. And that was one thing I kind of also noted was that like there was a very real chance that they were going to lose to the Atlanta Hawks. Um, mm-hmm. And I mean, the Hawks are well playing above their ability right now, but they should be a bottom of the league team, not bottom bottom, but you know, tenth to eleventh in the Eastern Conference, and generally not good. And admittedly, Philadelphia did discover, okay, well, we can lean on our defense to just kind of shut down this team that we're clearly better than. Um, but at the same time, yeah, you're right. You would like it to be a 120-95 to 95 blowout. Not having Scott really hurt toward the end of that game, because mm-hmm. I feel like they needed just a little bit more spacing toward the end. Um, I feel like Richardson and Harris are really uncomfortable playing next to one another. And being able to throw Scott in with Richardson and then Harrison with, I don't know, James Ennis, insert bench scrub here. Mm-hmm. Even Thibault counts there. Um, <clears throat> that really helps. And when you don't have Scott, you don't really have that flexibility. Mm-hmm. Why do you think that is? That but I'm not going to really make excuses all night because they they should have probably blown out that team. Trey Young, really, really good. I'm really glad that I was correct on him. <laughs> <laughs> um but yeah, let's move on from Sixers height. As much fun as that was, because I feel like Philly <laughs> fans don't get enough chances to brag publicly online. Um, let's see, who else has just made an impression on you so far this year? Let's go to specific well, players. Ha- who ha- have you given? Uh, Kendrick your, uh... Nunn. Kendrick Nunn is the obvious one. Oh but yeah. Other than yeah, him, yeah, we'll get Nunn to has him. No business being as good as he is. You didn't tell, tell me who you were disappointed by, though. Oh, disappointed by. Let's see. Basically, all the teams that I I thought, I mean, I'm disappointed by the Bulls like everyone is, but I'm also not sold that they're going to be bad. Um, the Nets are disappointing me, but they're I expected to be disappointed. I don't know. I'm actually going to go with the Clippers, believe it or not. Okay. Because I think their big man. I was hoping, because I, I I do like the Clippers. I do like Kawhi. I like Paul George. Mm-hmm. I was hoping their big man rotation would surprise me that either Harrell or Zubat would, obviously, yes, Zubach, but Zubat would develop into something that they could keep on the floor. Right. And I mean, Harold, Harold has looked really phenomenal at times. Like, he was excellent against the Hornets, he was excellent against the Lakers. He's um, still just so exploitable. Yeah, exactly. That's like, all I, that I see. Was, when that was he's a big part floor. of why, uh, why they lost to the Suns, was uh, his matchup against uh, Kaminsky and Ayton. Um, not, you know, a huge part of it, but yeah. Um, I think like he was. So I'm just disappointed that 
that they haven't surprised me. And that's really weird to say, but I was really kind of crossing my fingers that one of their big men would, would work out, even though that would probably cost the Sixers a ring because that's their biggest advantage over the Clippers is that, you know, they have Simmons and Horford and Embiid. Uh-huh. And it's actually but, funny. Harrell actually played phenomenally in that in that Suns game. Like, he actually went for 28 points on, like, 10 shots. It was just that, like... No, he's fantastic offensive player, but that's really not what right, they... Yeah. Well, they do need that, but that's not what they yeah. need in those late-game situations, and that's when you feel it. It's like the Clint Capella problem in Houston. He's exactly what they need for 90% of the game, but for those 10% of possessions, he really fucks you over. And that's kind of what, what seems like might happen. It's obviously too early to make conclusions, but it feels like that's what might happen in And, and it is year. interesting. Like, so far, you look at the teams they've actually matched up with, and it's like, okay, well, they've played the Lakers, who are primarily playing, like, JaVale at the center because I don't know. And so that's a team that's fairly weak at the five. Golden State, who not only is already weak at the five at full strength, but is also currently lo- currently missing Colley Stein and Looney. Um, Phoenix, who, well, they have a good five. His name's DeAndre Ayton, and he's suspended for PEDs. Or, you know, a masking agent for PEDs. Um, and Charlotte, who, well, Zeller played well, but Zeller only plays so much of the game, and so he wasn't really matched up with Harrell all that much. And so, basically, like... He's played some extremely soft matchups so far, and we like he hasn't had anyone. His results have been fine, but he just hasn't faced anyone who can exploit him. And I don't know that they're good enough when he can be exploited. Um, because yeah, like he he needed to take a further step in some places, and he like he's had flashes, but he needs to be consistent. Yeah, and we'll see. It's it again. It's been like what two, three, four games for most of these teams. It could still happen. I just don't see it happening. The The Clippers, uh, I don't think there's a way they could have landed Kevon Looney, but at the same time, Looney got so little money that I feel like they could have done right, something yeah, I mean, for like they a were player probably, like that. You know, they, the market was kind of playing to their They were advantage. probably mathematically able to keep him, or to keep him, to get him. Um, whether or mm-hmm. not they were, you know, actually going to successfully do so, eh, maybe not, but... Um, he, he, he could have been on the table conceivably, and yeah, he would have been a pretty good ad for this team. Or like a Jordan Bell. It yeah. did not need to be a good yeah, player. Bell, Bell, but just Bell was on a straight minimum. So. In that prototype, in that mold of player, if they could have landed, would have been really, really crucial for them, I think. Anyway, um, let's see. What do you want to touch on? Uh, players. Player, um, players. What players have impressed you? What players have disappointed you? Uh, Donovan Mitchell looks like he's actually legitimately taking the next step. I think that's a big one. Um, he's mm-hmm. basically the only thing buoying a Utah Jazz offense that is having some very interesting uh, small sample spikes. Because, uh, well, Mike Conley cannot hit the ocean with a beach ball. Um, and Gobert's not really getting his usual, um, like, usual lobs either. And so basically that offense right now is a combination of Quinn Snyder, you know, getting open shots and Donovan Mitchell legitimately taking the next step into probably top 15 to 20 contention. Um, so, yeah, I think that's a huge thing. Hey, uh, did you know the Jazz extended Joe Ingles and they're going to have him until he's like 36 years old? 34. But yeah, I... I, I 34. That, 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 that was a super weird deal, like... I get the motivation. He's already it. 32. Yeah. Barely yeah. 32, but he's 32. That's not... Extending a guy who's 32 before a season starts is 
pretty much never a good idea. Right, yeah, like they tacked on a... like Basically all they did was tack on an extra year at the back, but it's like, okay, that's a year when he is very realistically not going to be good anymore because, yeah, he's well past the point at which most players go downhill. And, yeah, he's, you know, he started the started in the NBA late, but at some point your body just physically cannot keep up, and he's probably hitting that point. Not If yeah, not now, then in shooting... the next two years. Through four games, which is obviously only four games, he is uh, shooting horribly. So we'll sp- mm-hmm. he's obviously going to improve from where he's at. He's not going to sit at 26% three-point for the year, but... Um, they don't really care about his shooting as much as his defense, and he's mm-hmm. a 32 year old, six foot eight white guy. Like, <laughs> how long do you really think that that defense is gonna last? Uh-huh. That's kind of my thoughts there. Um, who else has impressed you, or who's disappointed? You? Uh, disappointed, uh, at, at least for what I've seen, Drew Holiday looks like he's taken a step back or two. Um, and part of that is because I think he's being hampered by some injuries slightly, but at the same time, like. His decision-making seems to be slightly less well-equipped for this season. Um, like, it, it seems like... I think he was he was preparing to have Zion next to him. Yeah, and, and that probably and doesn't he was hurt. getting into that mindset. Yeah, well, and I think that there is a huge element of adjustment because, practically speaking, yeah, his entire team has basically turned over. Um, like, he's playing now with basically last year's Lakers. Um, and he didn't play with the Lakers last year, as it turns out. Um, so yeah, like it's understandable and I expect it to reverse, but yeah, he, and also Derek favors, like both, both of the Pelicans like struggle pieces have kind of been people who really stick out, uh, stick out to me. So yeah, like you understand how those will kind of end up changing in the long run. Zion will come back. Their injuries will kind of heal up except Derek favors is perpetually injured. So maybe not, but um, you know, you can kind of see how that gets there eventually, but for now it does look rough and it's kind of disappointing because this was a team that people said, okay, well, they're not playoff locks right by any means, but they do have a shot at it. And right now, I mean, they're 0-4 and practically speaking, they're behind what should be one of the five worst teams in the league in Memphis. Admittedly, that's just because it's so early, but still. They, ha- they have the same number of wins as the Kings, who look completely incompetent, so... So, who has impressed me? Um, obviously, Trey Young. It's only been a few games, but he's hitting shots that were only heat checks last year, and he's hitting them so far with relative consistency, and if he can keep that up, that's good. I do think that that's probably a bad thing for his career because he takes far too many of uh-huh. them, and he probably shouldn't yet, and it's worrying that he's doing this so early in his career because sometimes it works out. Sometimes you're Curry, but more often than not, you're Antoine Walker. <laughs> um, so we'll to see. Fair, I, I but, imagine there will never be a point to it at which he gets to the Antoine Walker level bad. but No, I don't think so either. I think he sees the court too well. Yeah, that's also true. But at the same time, there are shots that he takes where you're just kind of like, ah, bro, uh, maybe make a couple more <laughs> before you... Uh, and, and this is coming from one of the pe- people with the worst shot selection on the planet with me. And even I see some of these Trey Young takes. And I'm like, dude, you're on, you're on an NBA court. Like, you're not at the YMCA on a, on a Sunday. Uh, <laughs> calm down a little bit. Anyway, um, he's impressed me, though. Um, he looks just a lot more confident handling the ball. And it's not even confidence in himself. It's confidence in his teammates. He's more confident that his teammates are actually going to do what he envisions them doing, and that's huge for a point guard. It's something that Rubio has kind of struggled with. Uh, He's been impressive this year as well. I don't know how his numbers look, but every time I see a clip of him playing this year, 
he looks very comfortable with the Suns. I think he's hurt right now. And especially, he? he might be hurt. Um, I'm going to look him up. But yeah, I mean, like, early season, there's been a lot of people just, like, sitting out with ticky-tack injuries or... Um, Don't you love it? Lot, lot, lots of uh, bereavement leave things, too, because I know uh, Dennis Smith Jr. and Cody Zeller and Reggie Bullock. And all. <laughs> Rubio. Rubio's played three games. He's averaging 10, 8, and 9. Okay. Which is just a very, beautiful. very Rubio stat line. Um, 32% from the field, 0% from three. Uh, 80% from the free throw okay, line. So, so Rubio's doing exactly what I want yeah, Rubio he, to he, do. He's struggling shooting a little bit and probably could be more efficient. But, you know, you live with that because he does everything else pretty well. 10, 8, and 9 is precisely yeah. what that Suns team <laughs> yeah, needs. Yeah. I hate pretty much everything the Suns do as a franchise, but the one good thing they did was the Rubio mm-hmm. signing. And, and and that is one thing. Like in terms of you know what they really need, you know, practically speaking, they don't need more scoring. Um, so it's okay for him to not be too great there. So yeah, yeah, and he he probably will not live up to his deal, and that's okay. He's certainly going to outperform the other guy who signed a large or the other point guard who signed a large deal this off season. So, well, large non max deal. So. Yeah, um, by the way, disappointing, Terry Rozier. Yeah, well, see, disappointing um, would imply that I had expectations for him in the first place. Uh, <laughs> but, yeah, he's not, like, there's a genuine argument that he is the fourth best guard on the Hornets. Um, and the Hornets are bad, in case you've missed that part. Um, yeah, um, speaking of Hornets, uh, I've also been disappointed by Kemba Walker so far this year. I, yeah, um, but I'm not sure how much of that is like is going to sustain in the long run because at large parts, like Walker's always been a guy who has. I mean, basically, he's always been a guy who has off shooting nights and will go through runs where he's kind of spotty. I don't care about um, the shooting. He's averaging two assists a game. Oh yeah, that, that's more on Brad though. I think he's playing in this super weird role where he's not really getting the play, getting the kind of plays where he gets. Uh, like gets assists. That's just not him. not the role that I want Kemba Walker in on a roster that's constructed like that. You have a yeah. bunch of wings that struggle to play well, make. Yeah, like, but that doesn't ball. mean he's not putting it in their hands anyway. Like the thing is, I I, <sighs> I get where you're coming from there, and Walker is a guy who you would like to have more assists, but it's more about the ball not being in his hands nearly as much, I think, than it is about and, and in different ways. That's the other thing. Like the way he's getting the ball is different than the way he's had it in the past. And so like I kinda get that and I think he'll figure it out eventually. Um, but I also think that yeah, like there, Brad Stevens could be doing a better job than he is right now. Um Kemba Walker is averaging more rebounds than assists. That is something that should never happen for a five foot nothing guard. He is guard. a deceptively good rebounder, but yeah, doesn't yeah, matter. It should never happen. It's irrelevant. Um, <laughs> Anywho, who else is impressed or disappointed? Um, Derek Rose is impressed. His game looks a lot more sustainable, though he did have a scary kind of landing that I noticed when he was facing Philly. Um, but the shots he's making, I can picture him making. He's not going to make them at the 55% clip or whatever that he's hitting right now. But... He looks sustainable as kind of a second option off the bench for them. So, you know, second option on the team, but obviously runs the roster uh, when he's coming And actually, with that in mind, Rose may not actually be the most impressive Pistons bench player to me. Um, any guesses? I have Christian no Wood has been, like, phenomenal in two games out of three. Um, 
Yeah, but that doesn't surprise me. Like uh, everywhere I've seen Wood that's go. That's true, yeah. Wood, Wood has always been that guy who's like, we know he's good, but he just never managed we to We had this whole conversation over the yeah, summer. Yeah. Like there has to just be so much shit going on behind the scenes <laughs> yeah. that we don't hear about. That just makes it yeah. not worth it because um, there are a lot of dumb teams. There are not this many dumb teams. Well, the yeah, yeah. <laughs> he was in Philly under some very good That's management. Fair, and Philly yeah. let him go. Um, but yeah, like at at some level that's true. But also he um like e- even in terms of what uh, what I would have expected from him um like I was expecting him to be good. I wasn't expecting nineteen and twelve good on game uh, on on in his third game um and practically speaking really only a second one um he he like he has a legitimate shot at being a a strong like seventh or eighth man rather than the fringe rotation guy i was expecting him to be um which mm-hmm. you know good good for him should get more than just a uh <laughs> more than just a non-guarantee out of his next contract um, which admittedly, again, kind of predictable because he was always better than a non-guaranteed guy. But, um, yeah, R- Rose is interesting because parts of it are sustainable and that he's not just exploding athletically over everything, partially because I don't know that he can actually physically do that anymore. But at the same time, I don't know that his defense has actually improved and it seems like at some level he's getting some level of lucky on his jump shots, um, that he won't necessarily always, um... Like, he's currently shooting 50% from three. That's not, you know, going to continue. Um, admittedly, it's one of two. Um, but, practically speaking, without a three ball, I think he's shooting fairly well from mid-range as well. Um, oh, yeah, he's... <laughs> yeah, he's shooting nearly 50% from mid-range as a career, like... Uh, he's a career 40% guy, so... It's it, it's an outlier, but it's not a crazy outlier. Um so yeah, like practically speaking, some of that will come back to the mean. But even once it comes back to the mean, he's probably still a decent uh, backup point guard. Um, so yeah, like Rose, Rose has been good. Um, disappointing though. Um, one that I want to talk about at the team level, the Denver Nuggets are three and zero, and I would argue they're disappointing. Yeah, I feel the same way about the Bucks. The Bucks are two and one, but. I expected to be disappointed by the Bucks, and I'm. It, it's not like they're below my expectations. They are disappointing me exactly as much as I expected to be disappointed. Uh-huh. Um, um, they just, they look shaky and it's the same thing with the nuggets. Mm-hmm. Things aren't clicking and it, it might be working in terms of wins, but there are shaky numbers. I'm looking at the bucks numbers right now. I was pulling it up while you were mm-hmm. talking. Um, <clears throat> Brooke Lopez, 40% from the field, Chris Middleton, 43% from the field. Um, Eric Bledsoe, 36% from the field. Making zero point seven threes per game. Right, yeah, and I think a large part of that is coming from because we're still working on such tiny samples. I think so much of that is coming from a single stretch where uh, against Miami they just went super cold in the second half, right? Um, and mm-hmm. you know that's going to happen. They have a team of limited shooters who are going to be. I mean, they're going to have stretches like that, but at the same time, like. They're not supposed to have limited shooters, though. I'm looking at their roster right I mean, now, right? I'm looking at their per-game yeah. numbers, and it's in some kind of order. On uh, I think it's in order of minutes per game on, on yeah, basketball yeah, that's Number one, Chris Middleton, allegedly a shooter. Right, yeah. Giannis is number two. I don't care. He can't shoot. Brooke Lopez, shooter, shooting specialist. Wesley Matthews, shooting uh-huh. specialist. George Hill, 
shooting specialist. Eric Bledsoe sucks at shooting. Ersan, shooting specialist. Connaughton, shooting specialist. Right, so what I'm... Kyle Korver, shooting specialist. You're down to the 10th right. man I, When now. I'm calling them limited shooters, I'm not calling them limited in terms of they don't make their shots. I'm calling them limited in that none of those guys are, are stereotypical movement shooters. They're all standstill guys, right? Um, except for Korver. Korver obviously is, you know, like the preeminent one. But it does mean, like, with, with those guys, basically, it means that if a team successfully locks down on defense, like the Heat kind of did... They can go on bad runs, um, and most of the time, they're going to be like the Bucks are going to be able to adjust on that because locking down involves giving up more of Giannis, and giving up more of Giannis usually not a good idea. There's a reason why he's nearly like his numbers are still video game numbers right now, um, but at the same time, like you kind of have to realize that you can choose to either take away the shooters or take away Giannis, and some nights you're not going to be able to do that successfully, and some nights you're going to pick the right one and um, it, it, you're going to benefit from it. And I think that's kind of what you expect. And I think more often than not, it's not a thing to be concerned about because a lot of the times, even when teams try to lock down on them, you know, they're going to be fine. Um, so, yeah. Uh, There's just not enough ball handling on that team. There's not enough shot creation. That's all. And that's a visual thing that mm-hmm. Eric Bledsoe can't seem to get his bucket anymore. And George Hill hasn't been able to get his bucket in a few years now. Mm-hmm. And after that, you're left with Giannis driving into three people, uh-huh. which works far more often than it should. <laughs> yes, and then yes. Chris Middleton chucking up a fadeaway mid-ranger. And that's it. That's their shot creation. That's the entire team's shot creation. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, Even the Sixers, I mean, who I, have but, zero but, but, shot but, creation but, but, ability, so is not have more actually, options like, than that. You're kind of overstating how bad Bledsoe is at it. But in general, like, yeah, you're right. I don't think right, I though. am. He's bad. He's putting up 12 shots a game. He's making three. Right, on a three-game sample. It'll go back up. Yeah, but... Rick Lopez is putting up nine shots and making three as well. Um, Well, Lopez is going to shoot better. But at the same time, last year's efficiency might have been... A bit misleading. No, I I don't think that's entirely uh, unreasonable. Um I was never. I don't know whether you felt this, but whenever I watch Brooke Lopez, when I, whenever I watch the Bucks face the Sixers, when I really have interest in the game, did you ever feel scared of Brooke shooting a three? Not really. Like when he was facing the Hornets, like were you actually like, yes, he can shoot, but it was never like, ah, fuck, we just gave up a shot well, to like the, Curry the biggest, Clay. The biggest or, thing with Brooke was that the way we played them last year was that we went like super small at the five. And so whenever Brooke was out there, we were just like, yeah, we'll gladly let you do that. Please let our five get away with just barely guarding you. Um, Our, you know, five. See, our thing was Embiid would sit inside and just, Embiid would sit inside and stare Brooke in the eye as he shot. Yeah. And be like, yeah, I'm more scared of Giannis than you. Shoot it, you coward. And it's it's sort of the same way that uh, a couple of teams defended Al Horford last year, right? Where it's just like, yeah, you can have that pick and pop all day. We don't really mind. It's it's, it's efficient offense. You're not going to take five of those. Like, rephrase. You're not going to make five of those games. You might take five of them in a game, but you're not going to do that every time. Which makes it all the more infuriating that the Sixers basically lost a playoff series to Aaron Baines hitting, <laughs> yeah. hitting threes on those same looks when that was their mindset. Uh-huh. Um, every single crucial moment, Baines maybe hit five threes in that series, and all five of them were just fucking like rock knives through the heart of any momentum the Sixers had. Anyway, off topic. Um, let's find a new topic, actually. Do you have anything you want to touch on uh, in particular? How about push coverage? Um 
So there are a lot more teams in the NBA this year running push coverage than in past years um, on pick and rolls. And I think it's a really interesting thing given how badly over and drop is kind of not really working. Um, in that it's a little more prone to letting the, uh, like, to, to, to letting the defender get downhill, but it does reduce the odds of fouling. Um, so it's an interesting adjustment to, like, especially, like, the Harden fouls and the Kimball Walker fouls where they just curl around a screen and kind of hunt the contact, right? Um, and I think that, like, playing mm-hmm. push kind of preempts that and makes it easier on both the... When you say push, you're talking about the ball handler, not right, the yeah, handler, so- right? Because push coverage, when they called push coverage for me at a much lower level, was I would basically attack the roll man off the screen and start body checking. No, no, it's... Um, um, I'm assuming you mean something No, else. in an NBA context, it's uh, you, you ba- you're basically icing from the middle of the court. You're forcing them to not take the ball screen. That's what I figured, yeah. 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 Um, so it, it's something I think the Spurs have done it a lot for years, but this year already we've seen like uh, the Lakers do it to protect Dwight. The, uh, the Knicks have done it for Mitchell Robinson's sake. Um, the Hornets have done it for Bismarck Biombo, for example. Um where like they'll just have the guard actually get and basically just deny the ball screen and tell Biz to like all, all you have to do is stay in front, let the uh, you know let let this turn into a trap almost, and all all, all the big man's responsibility is is to, to zone up and protect the rim. Um, and so yeah, like it's like it, it's it's a cool adjustment and it's one that I'm wondering if more teams take and I'm wondering if it kind of turns into this year's version of the two three zone. Um, cause like last year we saw, like last, last year we saw so many different teams pop up with like their own version of the two, three, and it was cool to watch. Like there were some of them that did it more creatively than others. Um, I th- actually thought the Knicks version was one of the more interesting ones because they only could do it with Luke Cornett, um, who they no longer have. Um, but, uh, well, they could only successfully do it with him. Fizdale is just a conundrum. Yeah. He's just, he's so clever and crafty. Yeah, and then he's... But like, he's also just such yeah, a dumbass exactly. in so many different uh, ways. It's it, it, I feel like there's so many coaches in the league like that where it's just like they'll do these brilliant things for one minute and then you look and Frank Nielakina and Malik Monk are sitting on the bench. And it's just like, what are we doing here? These are like, <laughs> you know, these, these two guys are like two of our three, like our top three players on their respective teams. And they're getting like 10 minutes a game each. Um and it just doesn't make any sense as to, you know, how either of them is being used. Because I think James Borrego absolutely falls into that same category, for clarification. Or Steve Clifford also falls into that same category. Like, there's a lot of coaches like that where it's just like, I don't know. They don't they don't teach coaches at some level how to actually evaluate how good their players are or what their players are good at. And so I think there's a lot of coaches where it's just like, they know what they want to do and they don't necessarily... Like and, and at some level they may even get okay. Well, here's my personnel that can kind of do that, but they don't necessarily ever think about. But wait a second, the personnel that can do that kind of stinks. Um, you know, it's they want certain things. Um, the, the Knicks want certain things out of their offensive point guard, right? Um, and Dennis Smith Jr. is a lot closer to being able to do them than Frank is. But Dennis Smith Jr. is still terrible. Like, there's just not really much way around that. And yeah, he may be injured and he may be grieving and and all that, but at the same time, like, he should not have been out on the court these past couple of nights, and it should have been Frank instead. Um, you know, the, um, well, everything that, there are a bunch of things that James Brago is doing wrong with Malik Monk, but the, I don't have time to get into those, and I don't think... Yeah, and, and there's also the issue that this is, this is kind of an NBA podcast, and 
if we do more than 30 seconds of Hornets talk, the entire audience just kind of goes. Hey, I mean, the, the, the college season officially starts on 11-5. We'll fit, it, fit right in then. Um, <laughs> Anywho, any last words? Any, uh, we need one more thing, I think. Okay. Um, do you have anything that you want to talk about? Because I have one idea we can roll with. Let, 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 let's roll with your one idea because I've got nothing other than, you know. So. Well, I do, I do have one next that I think about it. But let's do yours first. Okay. What's one headline you expect to see within a month in the NBA? Hmm. Right, let's go. Let's go two months because mine I want to I want to I think it'll be two months. Uh, Jim Boylan fired. Okay. Actually, okay. I, I, let's go ahead and go with all, 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 all three coaches of the bottom three teams in the East right now fired. Like, all three. Um, Who are the bottom Knicks, three right Bulls, now? Knicks, Bulls, and Pacers. You think Fizz has gone this I quickly? think it's entirely possible. Um, I think that he's basically... And you think that the Pacers are going to fire I Nate? think it's possible. Um, just because, like, as bad as... like. At some level, yeah, they're missing Oladipo, and that will that will cover over a multitude of sins. Um, because I mean, you're missing a potential All NBA player who probably won't be that anymore. But yeah, but also I think that the way he schemed around um, the Sabonis and Turner pairing, which was never going to work in the first place, and they really shouldn't have put that on him. Um, but basically, the way that he's handled that, and the way that they're struggling to defend despite having strong defensive personnel just really isn't something you keep a coach around with. And I also don't think, like, I think there's a good chance that basically if this year doesn't work out, they kind of start to not full reset, but like, um, you know, move some of the friendlier contracts to pick up longer-term assets. Um, So guys like Jeremy Lamb, for example, who, well, Lamb's on a three-year deal. So that's part of the thing is that so many of their deals are long that I don't know exactly what they'll do with them. Um, but I do think like, I do think Mc- they'll keep them. This is, this is a punt. Year. Right. Yeah. Like they're, I don't think they make any significant yeah. moves this year because well, they realize and- Oladipo's coming back from one of the four or five worst injuries you can have as yeah. a basketball Well, and that's, player. that's, that's the thing. Like, I think they recognize this is a punt year. I think the thing is that part of recognizing that this is a punt year is also realizing, okay, um, McMillan may not be our guy going forward because McMillan probably shouldn't be their guy going forward just for what they need out of this roster. And I think the biggest tell for whether or not McMillan should be the guy going forward is whether or not he can make the Savonis Turner pairing work because they're kind of locked into that by now. Um, and, and how many years has McMillan been the coach? I think he's at like five or six, right? Um, it's it's been yeah, a while. That's that's too long. That's too long in Larry Bird's book. Just because he like does he are you saying he turns over coaches quickly or? Larry Bird has literally said in interviews since the dawn of time only had like that he the... believes coaches get three to five years and then you just lose yeah. faith and um, the coach has to go this is, no matter what. doesn't matter how th- great the coach is. This is your four for McMillan in Indiana. So That's it. It's time. Maybe. Yeah. I'm with you now. I didn't think that they would fire him, but I think that if this season goes bad and Oladipo comes back, I think Oladipo has to come back, but if Oladipo comes back and plays okay, and they still lose. I think he's done there. Um, my headline, maybe this is just me being a cynical Sixers fan. Let's see if you can guess this. What do you think my headline is? The only g- evidence I'm going to give is that I'm a cynical Sixers fan who's been through a lot of things. Are, are you talking like an Embiid, a major Embiid injury? Okay. No. 
It actually has nothing to do with okay. the Sixers. Just that I'm a Sixers fan. Okay. Uh, is it Monty Williams related? No, it's Zion Williams out for the season with a torn ACL. Ah, ACL. Okay. I, I don't think that his body will hold up to the NBA. And I've been saying that for a while. This first meniscus injury. It's meniscus, yeah. right? Yeah, this first injury just seals the deal for me. Um, I think he can lose a little weight or strengthen his legs or do something. I think that we all saw Zion, <clears throat> all NBA talent, without a doubt. And we're like, look, this shouldn't work. But Charles Barkley did no. it. <laughs> Barkley was probably like, And it's like, it's like, well, Barkley was 300 pounds when he got drafted. Um, because he purposely put on 20 pounds. But he was very heavy. He was probably this heavy, but he was down a lot more when he was actually playing high-level NBA ball. And the level of athleticism in the game has just grown so much. The level of grip you get out of sneakers, which is a huge deal, because think of how much force probably shifted when Barkley would land and his chucks or whatever the hell he was wearing. I guess he was probably wearing Jordan 1s. But it doesn't matter. That kind of sneaker gives when it just slides. A I have always bit, wondered. Right? I have always that's wondered a, about that. If the sliding is actually worse on joints. Um, that's this is my one big NBA story that I've told, and it actually I wrote an article about it a while ago. It's about Doug Collins, okay. um, a guy I worked with at the open gym I used to run. Um, used to be a friend of the Sixers back in the day. He, he Doug Collins was actually the best man at his wedding, and he met Doug Collins by playing basketball at the YMCA, and Doug would show up. And he said he saw Doug Collins play for years. He would wear his shitty Converse's, and he would he would keep two or three pairs in his bags at all times because he would slip and his foot would rip through the shoe. And he would put on the other shoes. And he just said he was used to it. You know, he could do uh -huh. it, and it didn't matter to him because he knew exactly how it felt and he could land it. And then he signed a sneaker deal with Adidas. I think it was Adidas. It might have been Reebok. I think it was Adidas. And... Within a year, he had his first foot problem. He was out of the league in three years because the Adidas shoes had grip. The salesperson pitched him that these shoes will grip the floor better. You're not going to rip through your uh -huh. shoes anymore. Within three years, he was out of the league. Or he was out of being a star. I'm not sure whether he was out of basketball. But he was done as, as a relevant NBA player. And I do think that that slipping thing, obviously, you can't go and give Zion slippery shoes now and be like, all right, you'll be good for your yeah, career. Yeah. That's not how it works. He grew up with it. He, he came up with it. But at the same time, people are so much more explosive now. I think the NBA floors are much better made. I think there is a level where you ever play basketball in an L.A. fitness where they, they put the wood down on top of concrete, but there's like an inch gap of air in between the wood and the concrete, and it makes the floor all like springy. No, I, I think I, I, I can't say I've ever actually no. experienced that. I, I think some of the people listening will recognize what I'm talking about. A lot of gyms do it when they buy up a building that wasn't a gym. And then they're like, all right, we're going to make a basketball court. And it's springy and it's soft and it doesn't hurt your knees at all. It makes it weird to dribble. But, I mean, it, it, it's it got to be less bad on your knees. And I think there's a lot of just the, the way that we've refined the game, I think – causes a lot of injuries in a lot of a lot of these kind of freak athlete mm -hmm. players which makes it all the more impressive that lebron worked out 
And I think it makes Boris Diaw's career path make a lot more sense. The, uh, <laughs> because the, the the thing that uh, the thing that sticks out to me about it is like, you know, that that's something maybe good for people who've learned it. But yeah, it's um, you know, I I wonder how at, at what levels floors are standardized in the NBA at this point because you also have floors in the NBA where there's a hockey rink under it, right? And so you get the condensation issues and most, I think most yeah. of them have um, a hockey. And floor I, I wonder you. like. If, if there's a higher incidence of injury in those, um, or maybe there's a lower one, um, who knows? Um, but yeah, I mean, I would guess that like that variance is probably not necessarily good and all that. The, uh, the other thing I was thinking about with that, or especially with Zion is that, um, I don't think the injury itself would be any more a, like, it's not a gigantic red flag. It's just a standard sized one. Right. Um, but the thing that worries me about it is that the Pelicans tried to keep it very quiet originally. Like they tried to be like, no, no, there's no injury here. Pay no attention. No, uh, you know, there, there, there is no war in Lake Lagai. Or no, that's not it. In the Earth Kingdom. You misquoted yeah, Avatar did. in the presence yeah. of me. That is that you. Yeah. You need to go to fucking yeah, Lake Lagai yeah. right now. Um, no war in the Earth Kingdom. Anyhow, um, but um, there is no war in Bossing. That's it. Um, it just went completely blank on it, but it's been a long day. Um, but you kind you kind of get that whole thing where it's just like they kind of just tried to pull this like misinformation campaign and be like, no, no, everything's fine, and like you know, there's there's this one random floating forum post and completely unreliable, but it turned out to be completely correct. It's like three days later, we're just like getting confirmation from Pelling's like, yeah, yeah, he actually tore his meniscus, um, and that's. No, and you know what you know what it feels like? It feels like all the Embiid injuries. Yeah, yeah I can see that. The shit that the Pelicans sued the Sixers over with Drew uh-huh. Holiday. They're managing it the same way. Mm-hmm. And it's nuts to me, and it's really worrying because, yeah, I'm a diehard Sixers fan, but Embiid has worrying injury concerns moving forward, and there's a reason why we don't run pick and roll, because Embiid would die within a week if we did. Mm-hmm. And... You, Zion's not successful as a player if he's not flying through the air. That's half of his effectiveness right now. Mm-hmm. So it's a little worrying, yeah, yeah. you know? And also, part of me is also curious if he can jump this high, weighing 280 pounds. How high can he jump at 225? Uh-huh. Like, it, that part of me is definitely curious because it sank into me. Uh, one of my trainers was because I was always a bigger player growing up, and I was probably like 225 pounds at the time. And he's like Jeff, he's like you can you can just barely dunk now. I'm like yeah. Uh, he's like, have you ever tried jumping with ankle weights on? I'm like yeah, I had five pounders at home. I used to run with. I could barely jump with them. And he's like yeah. Um, if you lose 10 pounds, like that's the equivalent of doing that. Like you should, you should probably <laughs> do that because then you'd be able to, and I, I didn't cause you know, fat ass, but <laughs> at, at the same time, you can jump a lot higher when you're lighter mm-hmm. and it could be really intriguing. And that's just me being a greedy, curious basketball fan. But I do think Zion needs to do something. Maybe it's just a difference in play style. Maybe he goes the Russell Westbrook route where he eliminates a lot of the unnecessary jumps out of the game just so he can have those three or four explosive plays a game. Mm-hmm. Maybe he's not jumping for every block, and he just picks his spots. Or maybe he goes the Zach Levine route, which is similar, where he just chooses not to move on defense. <laughs> and just, just To be just fair, he's already on pace to do that. that. <laughs> Probably. Anyway, I think we're good to call it. I think we covered enough. Do you uh, have any last nope. words? 
other than, you know, play Malik Monk. Play Malik Monk. Yeah, Sixers. Um, shout out to Shake Milton. I don't buy that it's a bone bruise because it was a non-contact injury. Um, I think they said mild knee sprain. I think he's actually hurt. I hope he's okay. To me, it feels like some kind of meniscus fuckery is going on. There's no way to know. But uh, he looked good, and he looked a lot better than, than for Con Korkmaz. <laughs> so we need him back. Hopefully he gets better. Uh, anything else? Uh, Kyle O'Quinn's been a revelation, which is always nice. Sixers have a backup center. Um, Celtics suck, which is always fantastic in my book. Heat are interesting. Kendrick Nunn, we didn't talk about him, but are you in on Kendrick Nunn? Eh. Um, he's definitely not as good as he's playing. That's right. my feeling toward he's it. He's definitely not as good as he's playing yeah. right now, but he's probably an NBA-level player. All right, I respect that. But part of me also thinks that he's going to put up like 18 a game this year. <laughs> They're going to have to extend him to one of those Tyler Johnson uh-huh. deals, and it'll just be that next yep, heat contract yep. that fucks um, him over for five years. Where it, it turns from one bad contract into two pretty bad contracts, and then one of those guys like like runs over his foot in a lawnmower, and then that becomes a really bad con. Like one of those heat cycle things that just always seems to happen to the heat. I feel like that's probably in the works. But anyway, I hope you guys enjoyed the podcast. Um, we'll be back next week with your normal, regular content. No more of the off-season previews. I think the last one just got lost on my computer. I recovered it at one point, and I looked the next day, and it was gone again. So I'm guessing just God did not want that, <laughs> that podcast Southwest, right? So yeah, that, uh, you yeah, know, it, it's, it's it, a God-forsaken it, division there, anyway. There, there are reasons to believe that there are higher powers involved <laughs> in the losing of that podcast. Uh, anyway, like I said, hope you guys enjoyed. Be sure to subscribe on whatever the hell you're listening to this to. I'm at the real wise guy, W E I S, on Twitter. Joseph Nation is at JNA1, I believe. Yep. And uh, follow us there if you want to hear bad basketball analysis for more than one hour a week. And we'll see you next time.